welcome to the Hallmark Keys podcast. We are really excited today. We are here talking with another author. We love getting a chance to talk to authors and we have author Melody Carlson here and I'm film critic Rachel Wagner and Bree is here. Hey everybody. And Melody, thank you so much for coming back and talking with us. Thanks for having me again. Yeah. So how was your uh, 2020? How did that uh, end up working out for you, your holidays? Did you have a, a, a good end of the end of the year since we last oh, talked to you? It's, it's been very interesting. Yeah. Um, I can't remember if I told you or not, but we were building a house in the age of COVID and we thought the house would be done, you know, <laughs> like, I, well, idealistically by Christmas, but I'm mean, not like last Christmas and we're, we're still we're just finishing it up right now. So it's oh been a goodness. long, hard haul. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> Cause we're yeah, doing I... it ourselves mostly, you know, and oh, so yeah. we're like crazy pioneers. <laughs> yeah. You, I was gonna say, you can never trust contractors. Uh, when I was building my house, they, they told me so many deadlines that they, that it was, and I had everything all packed up. I had movers ready and nope, not, it's not done. And it's not done. And it's not done. Oh, and it's even worse with COVID. I mean, because yeah, I'm sure we're our own contractors. So, but the people that are working for us to do things, you know, like our electrician got COVID, and then supplies don't oh come, gosh. and it just it's ongoing. But it's, <laughs> it's a good lesson in patience, and that's not yeah. my best virtue. So. Y'all are making me nervous because I have been down such the like HGTV um, <laughs> rabbit hole lately. Like I'm watching the show now called Cheap Old Houses. And I'm like telling my husband, like, let's buy an old house and renovate it. And now I'm like, maybe, maybe not. <laughs> well, somebody or, or, or maybe wait, wait a little <laughs> while. because, Like right now, lumber prices are the highest they've ever been. Oh. And it's just, yeah, thanks. Everything that you would need, it's hard to get. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, when I was getting my house built, somebody told me that plan on signing for your signing for your house, uh, 30 days after they install the cabinets in the kitchen. And (laughs) it was almost to the day I was like, I should have just listened to that lady. She was absolutely correct. (laughs) So I don't know if that will be the case for you, but. Well, we're getting our countertops this week, so who knows? But see, we're doing the finished work and stuff ourselves, so mm-hmm. we only have ourselves to blame if it takes forever. But I, I am going to stake a claim. We will be there by Christmas. I really think mm-hmm. we'll be there by October, but, you know, who knows? Well, <laughs> you're so uh, prolific in your writing uh, in career that you really should use this as a catalyst for your next book. Well, and- you know what? I've already written a book when you mentioned or um, Brie mentioned HGTV that came out this spring and it's called home sweet, tiny home. And it's uh-huh. this woman who downsizes and it starts with her binging on HGTV shows, oh the gosh. tiny home shows. And she just decides good. to get rid of her big mansion, which is a whole nother story, but I do use, I use these building experiences because yeah. this is not our first rodeo. It's like we've, and, but it will be our last one. I hope but we've built and remodeled mm-hmm. over and over for 43 years of marriage. We've always been in a project. Yeah. Yeah. Some I, of the photos you you have on your website of the houses are just gorgeous. It looks like where you live is gorgeous too. 
Well, Oregon is very pretty. We we have, you know, it's not the perfect place to live, but there's a lot of natural beauty around us. So we love that. I always say nothing tests a marriage, like putting together a piece of Ikea furniture, but I think that <laughs> building a house is probably even more so. Yeah, it's a, it's a daily test. I was just, we were with friends last night and I was telling them that, you know, and they've known us through a lot of these projects, but I said, you know, if we, we survive this, you know, we can survive anything and and we can't see the end of the tunnel. So I think we're going to survive. I have a question that I kind of want to start like a writing question. Can we start there? Yes, please. Of course. so, I mean, I just love, I love your website. I love like the beautiful like mountains in the back and stuff like that. And, um, I really love your writing tips for beginning writers. And you said something along the lines of like, I mean, obviously if you want to write fiction, you need to read tons of fiction, but then you even more specifically, you said to make sure that you're immersing yourself in the kind of writing you would aspire to write. So, for your particular, like the stories you like to tell, what were some of the stories that you were reading that kind of aspired your journey? Well, um, it, it, you know, like <laughs> we're talking years back, of course, but um, I, I liked like Maeve Benchy and Elizabeth Berg and women who wrote um, smaller, like smaller stories about people, but they made them bigger. Rosamund Pilcher. Um, and I feel like these are sort of old fashioned writers in a way that they still hold true. Their, their writing is, is still substantial. I like like Jane Austen, you know, people who wrote about maybe primarily women's relationships, but it always goes into, you know, the whole world, but in a small way. And I don't, I, I don't tell big saga kind of stories. I tell stories about relationships and people and growing and changing. And yeah. So that, those were the ones that early on, they really did inspire me. You feel like it has been harder or easier to write in the pandemic and quarantine and everything. Yeah. Well, you know, because we've been house building too, it's kind of yeah. that adds a complication. And so my office became, because what we did was we sold a house and then we're living in these apartments above a garage that's on the property that we're building on. I don't know if that makes sense, mm-hmm. but my office became what used to be a book storage room. So it's like this little cellar, I call it the dungeon, down below, and it's just dark and dreary. So just having that, it's hard for me to go down there. I, I feel like a baby about it, but um, I'm used to having, you know, windows and things. But that's that's where everything's all set up, so I have to go down there and write. So it's been harder. But I have managed to write, I think I'm on my third or fourth book since wow. pandemic. Maybe yeah. even more than that. I mean, since pandemic, I'm, I was just thinking in the last year, but yeah, Mm -hmm. it's, but, but you know what it is, the good part about it is it makes me forget about COVID when I'm writing because it's, you know, I just go to another world. So in a way I get to escape it. Unfortunately, I get to escape it in my dungeon. So (laughs) another one of the things you talk about, um, is that I loved was that, um, you said something along the line of, you have to allow yourself to write poorly to try to, to like turn off that inner editor. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Yes, absolutely. In fact, the friends we were with last night, he's an editor of many more years than I've been a writer, but he's trying to write a book and he was asking me and I, and I said, you know, I'm not gonna say his name, but I said, 
hey, you turn off your editor. And he's like, well, how do you do that? And he was talking about wanting to write stories uh, from his childhood because he has a real interesting childhood. And I said, yeah, just pretend like you're gathering your children or your grandchildren around the fire and you're just telling them a story. But but it's like he has a really hard time turning off his inner editor because that's what he does for a living. But I think all writers, when they first start out, we want to create something perfect. We want something. We want it to read beautifully. And we get stuck, you know, just even on the first lines or we get stuck in the first chapter. And then I know so many people who go back over and over and over the first chapter. They're so happy that they got the first chapter. They go over it so many times that maybe it, you know, does get kind of perfect, but then they can't go on because they've already created this habit of making it so-called perfect. And what I tell people is chances are, if you manage to finish that book, you're going to go back and throw away the first chapter anyway, because usually we don't even know what we're talking about in the first chapter. You know, it's like the story isn't complete enough to even know what it is. So it's like, yeah, if you can just pour it out, then you've got something to go back and edit. If you can't get it out, you know, why bother editing, you know, <laughs> at all in the beginning? That, that And I do tell people that. Not, I think because when I first started writing, I had so little time. It just forced me to do it. I just, I had such a burning desire to write. I just jumped onto literally my typewriter to start with, which, you know, if you can imagine. And then after that, it was the, the early dinosaur computers, which were really cumbersome and but I would just force myself just to get through it because I only had, you know, like a Saturday afternoon or something, you know, to get all my writing in that I wanted to get done. And so I would, I worked fast and furious and carelessly. <laughs> now, do you ever, you've written so many books. Do you ever get like burnout where you're just like, I have nothing. That's it. All the stories have been told. I don't know what else to write I, about. Yeah. You know, I, I try to tell myself there's, there's no such thing as, is you know I don't even like to use the words but you know just getting that blank you know burnout whatever mm-hmm. you want to call it but um because I, it's like I think you can delude yourself into thinking that you have it and I'm afraid mm-hmm. that if I do that I, I'll believe that I have it so I kind of haven't allowed myself even to to think that and then I I just always think that there's as many stories as there are people on the planet and all I have to do is tap into a character and start caring about that character and creating some problems for that character and wanting that character to get past his problems. And then, you know, and then, the, and then writing just happens. So, mm-hmm. you know, I definitely have been trying to slow it down over the past, you know, maybe four or five years instead of being a book of the month club, I'm down to, you know, doing about maybe my goal is like three or four a year. So, and oh, I know that's that probably sounds like a lot of people. <laughs> That is still so admirable. I will say. I can't believe it. It's amazing. <laughs> well, let's talk about one of your new books, Christmas in the Alps. Why don't you tell us, tell our audience a little bit about it? Yeah. Um, well, and see, that was written during the pandemic. And um, I think I just wanted to get away. You know, like mm-hmm. the one thing I really haven't liked in the pandemic is just that being unable to to go or do and it's not like that we do so much but we do like to go out in the motorhome and things like that but we were also trapped because we're building this house so I can't blame it right. completely on the pandemic but I just thought well, where would I like to go and I I've been in um, France like 
just twice. I've been to Europe more than that, but to France proper just twice. And the first time I was there, I was very young and I was actually traveling around the world. And I was only 19, if you can believe that, but by myself and I had a URL pass and I was, and it was like October and the, my favorite part of, I was spent a month in Europe. My favorite part was on the train going through the Alps and those little Alpine villages. And I just remember kind of that twilight time of day and the little glowing houses with, you know, their, I just, it just, I wanted to stop and visit, but I didn't really have the luxury to do that because it was kind of off season and I didn't know where I'd stay and all of that. But it was always there in me. I would love to, you know, explore those little villages. So I set this story in a French Alpine village that is fictional, but it's because it's a small, you know, when you're writing about a smaller town, you don't want to really use a real name anyway. But I used Mm -hmm. the R River because it goes through that part of the Alps, kind of between Switzerland and France. And I I gave the town that name, which doesn't really exist. But Mm -hmm. yeah, so I took myself away. (laughs) out of my dungeon to Alpine France and it was a fun little trip (laughs) yeah I really liked that aspect of the of the book that it was there was an escapist uh, aspect to it but how did you come up with this whole idea of this sort of treasure hunt that she's on I don't even remember exactly how it why or how it hit me you know the the premise but um, I just thought what would you know take a person who had flying phobias to mm-hmm. France in the middle of winter at Christmas time? You know right. what would <laughs> what would it take? And so yeah, she very early in the book she's cleaning out her her grandmother's has passed away and she's kind of had this different upbringing that her mother had her kind of as a teenager or a young adult and kind of gave her over to the grandmother and then just disappeared. And so the grandmother's embracing her, but she also has this French great grandmother who um, came over from France during world war two. And so anyway, they've both passed on, but her grandmother who kind of raised her, she's cleaning out her house and her friend is helping her. And they find this an open letter that's from the great grandmother who came over from France and she's her namesake. They're both Simone's and the grand, great grandmother is saying there's a treasure for Simone. I want her to go to our France and, and find it. And, you know, Simone just thinks this is crazy, but her friend is like, no, you've got to do this. You, you know? And so the friend becomes this propelling force to get Simone to, to actually do it and, and do it during Christmas holidays. So that's, that's kind of how it takes off to get her over there. And then when she gets over there, it, it's a very interesting treasure hunt. And, you know, here's the truth, because this is how I write. I didn't know what the treasure was <laughs> myself until the end of the book, you know, towards the end. So it was for me, it was like, what is it? Well, where is it? <laughs> how will they find it? Oh, but they funny. do. <laughs> so you are a pantser, not a plotter. Oh, absolutely. I feel like I invented that word, too. <laughs> Very good. Uh, yeah. There's a, quite a bit of French in the book. Did you just have to look that up or do you speak some French or? A, a very, very little French, but it, it's one of those languages that like while I was in France and I'd be reading things and hearing things and stuff like that, I felt like I could have picked it up. You know, it just felt mm-hmm. comfortable. And I do have, you know, some French ancestry, so I don't know if that has anything to do with it, but um, it 
it feels familiar to me and it was really fun looking at words and listening to them on the audio. And, you know, it's so amazing with the technology that we have now as it makes it so much easier to research things. And so it, it helped me a lot, but yeah, if you ask me the meaning of a lot of those French words that I use, I'd go, I don't know. <laughs> I have to look it up. Yeah. Uh, I so- love how refresh, like it, it was refreshing because I mean, I like Rachel, I like obviously started the podcast because we love Hallmark movies and like during the holiday season, you see a lot of focus on like, you know, appreciating and loving where you are. And I just love travel stories set during the holidays. It's so, it's just something you don't see a lot of. Um, Mm -hmm. So I, I really loved like that travel aspect to it. I just think when we get those occasional gems, it's so much fun. Yeah. Right. And that's yeah. interesting to hear. It makes me, and actually we've got one in the future set up. That's a travel one too. So that's good to hear. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I really liked meet cute. The whole thing of, of she's terrified of flying. They end up sitting next to each other and that whole like dynamic was really fun. Yeah. He, he was an interesting character and I, I love it when he just disappears and I won't say what happened, yeah. but yeah it's like what (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah well and then when she gets to France she meets uh Noel and I thought that for a while I thought oh is he actually the love interest because they had kind of a fun dynamic but then different. I know I think that was a red herring but I don't want the readers to hear that so don't listen (laughs) who knows (laughs) he's a nice guy yeah (laughs) Yeah, that was a fun surprise. Kind of made it interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I liked him. Yeah, he was good. Uh, And then, so you have her aunt in France uh, who still has this grudge against the great grandma. And how did you come up with that whole character and like the French characters? Oh, I, I'm not even really sure. I just, I knew that because Simone, the great grandmother, that there'd been such a break in, in her not returning to France, not, you know, there was, there was some, you know, we knew there's a untold story, but we didn't know what it was. And so when we got young Simone over there, it's like, we have to, we have, and like I said, I'm exploring this as I go, we have to have that reason for what, what the break was. And so the break was, the great grandmother Simone's younger sister had a, she'd been jealous of her sister because she felt like in a sense that her sister had stolen her bow. I mean, it wasn't really her bow, but in her heart as a young, I think she was only 15 at the time. can't really remember, but um, she had, you know, rescued this, this flyer and, and gone to all this trouble for him. And, and, you know, I'm going to put in a plug here just because it's um, christianbooks.com has the bonus chapter that actually tells even a little bit more of the, the great aunt's story of what happened, which is kind of interesting because she reveals things that aren't complete. You you get enough, you know what happened in the book, but she tells it in even more detail in the, in the bonus chapter. So if anybody really wants to hear more, they could get it from christianbooks.com. But anyway, yeah, she has a real grudge, but, but I know she regrets it too, because you know how it is when sisters part, as you get older, all those things do seem a little more 
trivial, but sometimes people get trapped in, you know, that kind of bitterness and she became trapped. And then after her sister dies, you know, she feels like she doesn't even have a chance to restore it. And so I think it's kind of lovely how Simone, the young Simone is like a bridge between her great grandma and her great aunt. Mm-hmm. How did you decide on that name, Simone? You know, I just kind of went looking at French names and it just, it stuck out. I don't even know. It just, it just felt good. <laughs> what and I I've love used is... so many names in books. <laughs> like, I love the name and Simone. I I, I love it too. And it was like a name that I had never used before. So I was like, mm-hmm. Hey, this is good. So I love that. I mean, I love, um, I love romance novellas. I, I think anybody that doesn't think you can feel satisfied with a short story just needs to read romance novellas because I mean, I just think that what you all do with them is incredible. And like, you have so much going on in the book and it's such a short book. So can you talk a little bit about cramming in a lot in a short (laughs) amount? I mean, I, I know that I've seen that you wrote for um, Harlequin's Love Inspired, which I, a category romance lover. And so I was like, maybe, you know, that kind of, she already has that experience of writing shorter titles, but can you speak to writing novellas and kind of the process of, I mean, I could have easily read 200 more pages of this book, but the way that you put it all together, it's like, it's just, it's perfect. So can you talk a little bit about length and making sure you get in all the details. But I mean, did you know you wanted it to be a novella? Can you talk a little bit about yeah, that? Yeah, well, I know. Those are such great questions. And and you, you're absolutely right in the telling of a novella is different than a full-blown novel. And um, yeah, and I've, I've written a lot more full-blown novels than I have novellas, but I started doing Christmas novellas really about 20 years ago. And um and realized there actually the first one I did was even before Christmas novella was yeah but so it's like there's a different tempo to it there's a different but I didn't I honestly couldn't even really wrap my head around it and I hadn't actually read one because I don't think there were that many going on 20 and my first one came out 20 years ago so I think I started writing it even before that so I it was kind of just let's see how this works <laughs> and and then I've done, I, I think I'm on my 22nd one right now, because it'll be for 2022. But um, it's it's a different pace. It's a different feeling. But something happens when I sit down to do a Christmas novella that I just sort of lock into that, that smaller, you know, well, lesser page count. And you don't want it to be a smaller story. You still want it to be a big story. But you, it's just, it is different. And for somebody who's doing it for the first time, especially if you're a pantser, you, you know, you really have to pace yourself, you know, and, and it also, if you're used to writing longer books, you know, cause I do some, you know, that are, you know, 350 pages long, you know, and a novella is a lot shorter, but, you know, I did children's books too. And I did YA books and I even did a few, you know, middle reader books. So I guess maybe I kind of intuitively knew, you know, the, how to condense still have it be a full story but condense it I don't know it's hard to explain you have done a lot I mean you have chiclet you have books for kids uh, some books that look like they're like a little historical like the Dear Daphne series so I mean can you talk I mean 
what inspired writing across those different genres? And was it just, you know, wanting to have, you know, different like readerships being expanded? Uh, were these different stories just on your heart and you're like, I'm just going to go for it? Because I think as a non-writer, it's like, to me, it looks like, okay, you have to pick a lane and kind of, you know, stick in it. But then like, I see you and it's so inspiring because it's like, well, she's written across multiple genres. I know. And, you know, publishers really hate that, I have to say. <laughs> they and, and publicists hate it even more, really, because they can't really pigeonhole you. Market in that you. One <laughs> yeah. I know. And, and I apologize for that all the time. <laughs> I, well, I don't anymore. I used to all the time. That's just like, I'm sorry, that's who I am. But the, here's the real true honest answer is I would, because I'm so prolific and I love writing, I would get bored if I had to just keep writing the same genre. And even when I did the love inspired ones, I, I think I did, I can't remember. I think it was four. I don't really remember. And they, it was in the suspense and I kind of, and I liked it at first and I liked the second one. And I think, you know, as it went on, I just, by the last one, I didn't want to do anymore. I just didn't, it was just too formula for me. And, and even though novellas, I don't even want to say a novella has a formula because to me they don't, but there's more freedom there. But if I had to keep doing the same genre over and over, I would, well, obviously I would not have written as many books because they'd be sick of me by now (laughs) and I'd be sick of me too. But um, it really was just because I have a lot of other interests and there was a time when I thought, Oh, I'd never write a historical, but then I did some of those and they were so fun. And I, I felt like I learned so much as I was writing that, you know, I, I actually still have one more in a, in a trilogy that I need to finish before the year's out. I'm reminding myself going, Oh no, that's right. I still have to do that. (laughs) (laughs) But it's fun because it just takes me away. Kind of like this, the way this one took me to France, you know, that was just Mm -hmm. fun and it makes, makes writing, writing is fun, but it makes it even more fun. We'd like to take a second and thank our sponsor for this episode of the podcast. Terry Ferris, author of You Belong With Me and Until I Met You, returns readers to the charming town of Heritage, Michigan in the Restoring Heritage series finale. Fans have enjoyed immersing themselves in the complicated, funny, and endearing lives of this small town. And since you've been gone, Ferris offers another romantic tale where sparks fly when two people at odds in the past must learn to trust each other to ensure a better future. Not only do you get one great romance in Since You Be Gone, but it also has a sweet secondary relationship, which includes themes of faith, forgiveness, and love. Pick up Since You've Been Gone wherever you purchase your books or use our affiliate link. For more information on the Restoring Heritage series, visit www.terryferris.com books. That's com slash books. Well, I wanted to ask, so Simone goes to Paris for the first part of her trip, spends a couple days there, and then she goes to Avre. And uh, so I was wondering what was like to write about both Paris and Avre, especially in a, in the pandemic where you can't travel uh, to, to write about uh, those places. Well, I loved Paris, but I was mm-hmm. there the first time in October, which it really was gorgeous in October. In fact, the second time I went there was in July, and I didn't like it nearly as much, although I spent more time there in July, saw more, but 
it was just in October, it was just romantic. And it's kind of like that the streets were wet and the air smelled good. And, you know, just that whole, you know, your senses are just, you know, and plus mm-hmm. just it, being amazed by it. And the, the weather was lovely, even though it was October, it was just lovely. So, um, but of course I've never been there in December. And so I started reading about it in December and it just sounded magical. It just, they, you know, they, people that it, that were there were saying, you know, it was like the best Christmas lights, the best decorations ever. It's just like everything that we imagine, you know, to be Christmas. Not, not that Christmas is only about decorations, but you know, Paris is beautiful. So we want it to be beautiful. Mm-hmm. And, and the photos of the, that I found, they were just, beautiful and I thought she has to experience Paris you know and her friend told her that too you have to see Paris before you get to the Alps so I just thought let's give her and then I thought it was also interesting the fact that she's there alone and she's thinking about Kyle you know who mm-hmm. disappeared and um you know her heart you know is growing warmer towards this guy that she only knew for a while but you know that's life people do that and I just thought that was mm-hmm. kind of fun and yeah, the first time I was in Paris, I was totally, well, I wasn't totally alone because I met a guy that sort of helped me to the train station because he spoke French. And, and when you're in France, nobody wants to speak English to you, even if they can. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, yeah, it, it was I, just fun to play there a little bit. I haven't been to France. I, I've only been to one tiny part of it when I was a teenager. Uh, but uh, I would love to go and I would love to go to Paris sometime and uh, just see all the bridges and go to the cafes and all of the, I've just seen Ratatouille too many times. I think that's what it comes to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it's just, if you like aesthetic beauty and architecture and, and just even the gardens and the river, I mean, it's just the whole city, I think is just beautifully put together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It was fun to have both, both places. And that must've been fun just to, to get that escape in your writing during the pandemic. Yeah, it was. And it was just fun to remember what it was like being, you know, in Paris. And I did go to some of the smaller towns in France, but just never got to stay in an Alpine village, which just, Mm -hmm. it felt Christmassy. (laughs) I mean, a snowy Alpine village in December, you know, that's Christmassy. Well, I think that now that things are more opened up, I think that now you need to write a sequel and you can, <laughs> you can uh, have that be justification for your, um, for, for your trip to, <laughs> to the French Alps. Well, you know, I have, the one thing I have longed to do too is, is to get my husband over there on one of the, um, the river barge tours, you know, mm. have you heard about mm-hmm, those mm-hmm. where they just go from town to town and you have your bicycles and you get off in each town. But then I found out my husband, well, my I didn't find out. I know my husband is six foot six tall, but the barges are there because they're old. A lot of them are only like six feet tall. Oh no. <laughs> so, <laughs> I was going to well, say, not a good idea. <laughs> because I watch a lot of masterpiece on PBS and they always have those, this is sponsored by Viking river cruises. <laughs> I know we we just finished watching one and we kept looking yep. at, and the, they have the big cruise boats too, but they do the river barges too. And mm-hmm. I, my husband, like he hates the idea of going on a, a big ship. I do too. I, I've done that and I don't want to do that again, 
but these bars just look so charming, but like, nope, mm-hmm. I don't think so. Unless they've raised the roofs on some of those. <laughs> That's tall. Six, six. Holy cow. Yeah. It does make, it has some challenges. I'll tell you. <laughs> yeah. Play basketball. That, yeah. that tall. That's, that's funny. <laughs> uh, so I, I wanted to ask about the food scenes, particularly raclette. It was that, that had to have been fun to write. Yeah. Well, I was, I was trying to remember things that I, you know, I actually spent more time in Swiss um, Alpine towns and cause the second time I went on a tour, it was with a tour with my mom. She, that was the only way we could get her to travel is if I'd go with her. So I got to experience a lot of Alpine towns, not the little liberal little ones, but you know, the, but anyway, I was trying to think, what are some of the things that we ate there? And I couldn't really, I, I mean, it always involved cheese and bread and just, you know, all of these lovely things. So I, I don't know if I, if we really had that dish or not, but I, when I looked it up and read it, it's like, this sounds good to me. <laughs> like, <laughs> could I order some up just, you know, to see mm-hmm. how it is. Yeah. yeah. You're like getting on your DoorDash. Like. <laughs> Yes, but I live in Sisters, Oregon, where we don't even have DoorDash, which is a mountain town. It's a little mountain town. So see, there, there explains. You're better off. I have spent an obscene amount of money on DoorDash. Oh, it sounds good a lot. It's bad. Uh. (laughs) Yeah. Have you ever, Brie, have you ever had raclette? I have not. No. It's like they, they have this giant block of cheese oh it's like a gruyere or something like that and they, uh-huh. they they literally they they get it hot and then they use this um kind of knife to scrape off the melted cheese from the big block of cheese and then they have all different kinds of crudite that you dip it in it's it's delicious it sounds <laughs> amazing <laughs> I mean, I was sold at cheese and then you'd said they get it hot and I'm like, oh, melted cheese. <laughs> like the best thing ever. Right. Yes. You can't go wrong with melted cheese and dipping right. stuff in it. Perfect food. Yeah. That's right. Uh, yeah. I, 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 I really think that would be fun to write about because you don't have to deal with all the calories. You just still get to enjoy. Although I probably would end up overeating. Uh, well, in, I, if I was yeah, it made about, me want to go find some for sure. Yeah. But where I live, you no, know, not so much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so do you have a hard time coming up with like new ways to, to do the tropes in these romantic books? Like for instance, the meet cute here where they, they meet and then he goes off to Oslo and you're like, what is going on? Where did he go? <laughs> I, do, you, do you have a hard time with that? Like coming up with sort of new ways to do those kinds of things? Yeah, it, it, it is. And I, I try not to think about it too much because I probably would get overwhelmed trying to think, okay, did I do this before? Did it, you know? Mm-hmm. And then I think how many ways are there to, yeah. to, to meet up and to, I remember long ago, somebody told me and it was um, someone in Romance Writers of America and what I, and I actually had won uh, a Rita, but I, but the book that won the Rita, I admitted wasn't really like a, a romance, especially back, this was like in 1998. And um, this friend who was a little more experienced than I was a writer, editor, 
said, well, <laughs> I'm going to say it the way she said it because it, it'll make you laugh. She goes, they have to eat meat and break up. And I'm like, eat meat? Like like they're <laughs> you know carnivores? And she goes, no, no, I mean, they have to meet and then eat and then break up. <laughs> right. That was pretty, pretty accurate. <laughs> but, but eat meat? Really? What do you mean? No, no, no. Meat, eat, and then break up. And yeah. I'm like, and that, but I don't, I, I don't try to do that. But I mean, at, at the time I thought, okay, there really is, you know, there's this expected way that it happens, but mm-hmm. I do try to keep it different, but you know, there's only so many ways that you can meet somebody mm-hmm. yeah. and yeah. get things going. Yeah. Yeah. Meet, eat, break up. And, and then, then, yeah. Then yeah. Get, and then get back together. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's the best part when it's like, these two people are never going to be together. They're just never going to be together. And then mm-hmm. they're like, okay, we're going to be together. And then the dark moment happens and you're like, I just want yeah. them to be together. <laughs> yeah. It's like, the, the you know like Elizabeth refusing Darcy you're just like no how's this gonna work and then and then she gets the letter so the 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 big bigger novel that I have coming out in the spring next spring um and I'm actually doing the screenplay for it r- right now oh, wow. and um because I may have I actually I don't know if you guys remember the happy camper movie but a uh, book mm-hmm, <laughs> but it mm-hmm. may be becoming a movie here very shortly so i so in the excitement of that they they said could i adapt this one it's called looking for leroy and it doesn't come out like i said until march but um in that one as i'm adapting it i'm like going wow it takes a really long time for them to meet which is going to be it's the thing is they knew each other originally and then like all this time has passed and she's like looking for him in these vineyards and in Sonoma, California. And, but he's living, you, you hear, you see him and his life and he's reading these old letters from her and she's and but they don't really meet up until quite a long ways into the story, which is, I've never done that before. So it is kind of interesting and different, but you feel the chemistry, even though you're watching both of them separately, Yeah, which will be interesting. We'll see. Yeah. That is always oh. interesting to see play out. Yeah, what I can't remember the title, but it was like one of the Hallmark movies from last Christmas. They spent like the entire movie apart, and I loved it. I don't know about the rest of the oh, movie. Oh, like Christmas! It. Yes. Oh, that I was my it. favorite. What it was, was it called? Delivered by Christmas. It was so good. Yeah, Christmas. but they they well, did well, a great kind of feels job. Like that. Yeah, because they, they not till kind of the end. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they were separated, but they were communicating because yeah. they were talking on the phone. And so it didn't feel separated as far as their relationship growing. Yeah. That yeah. one was so good. I loved it. I'll have uh, to see if I can find that one. Yeah. Yeah. It was really good. Uh, well, we're excited about the new book and congratulations. Yeah. Uh, and if we will have a link to... Uh, well, our Philly link uh, to people if they want to purchase the the book and check it out, you should. But we like to end our our uh, interviews with some fun, silly questions. And we already did the we did the holiday questions previously for you. So these are just the regular questions. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. So first question: What is the best ice cream flavor? Jamocha almond fudge. 
Oh, you had that ready to go. Yeah. That's good. Well, the thing is, I don't really like ice cream that much. I know I feel bad saying it because people are like, <laughs> oh, how can you not like it? And my husband loves ice cream. And, but you know, mm-hmm. my second favorite one is vanilla. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's classic. Well, there, there's nothing better than a like a classic hot fudge sundae, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. Hot fudge, whipped cream, some nuts. Some nuts too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. (laughs) What is your favorite color? Green. Mine too. Yeah. That's good. (laughs) Very good. Okay. What music are you into? Oh man, I like an assortment. It really depends on my mood. Um, I'm trying to think of what I've been listening. What I've been listening to lately is is a local guy who's kind of bluegrass his, his, I, i'd tell you his name but nobody would know it but his name is dennis mcgregor <laughs> but cool we have a we have a really good folk festival here in sisters where i live and so i end up collecting a lot of good kind of folksy bluesy jazzy cds oh, I love that yeah i play in my car and that's where i listen to more music is in my car all right. Uh, what is your go-to date night food when you can go on dates again? Sometimes. Someday. Again, I know. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> um, well, I love salmon and it, anything mm-hmm. that I can get that's good with salmon, I'm usually happy with, but it's sometimes hard to get. I also like a good trout, but it, that also can be hard to get or red mm-hmm. meat. <laughs> but yeah. We haven't had a lot of date nights. I'll say. Well, once we can go out in public again, what would be your go-to date night activity to go and do? Well, we have we have a sweet restaurant that usually has live music, and I we have been there a few times actually because we sat on the patio and then we tried to get there's the table that's they do the live music like inside in the lounge, but they have big doors that they open, so we try to get the table that's still on the patio, but we can still hear the live music, and then and then we usually because these guys are really good with steak, they're also really good with mm-hmm. mussels for I love mussels. Oh. And sometimes they have really good, that, you know, it depends, but that, that would be perfect. Mussels uh, and then just a nice filet mignon mm-hmm. makes me happy. I'm craving it. And we have an anniversary coming up like just Ooh, next week. You should <laughs> go. To make a reservation. Yeah. yeah. There's a yeah. place here that has these black pepper mussels. Oh, uh, it's oh, to die for. So good. With crusty. Yes garlic bread that you dip into yes. the oh, oh into now the I want to go there right now. Oh yeah it's me too. So good. <laughs> that like hot broth. Oh I know I could just drink it yeah. <laughs> With you there. Yes. If either of you ever come to, to Salt Lake, I'll take you. We get black pepper mussels. Okay, um, now where our, is it you live? I live it I live near Salt Lake. Oh, okay. All right. Uh, yeah. So keep that in mind. <laughs> okay, good. All right. Next question. What, uh, or which do you pick dogs or cats? Well, we have, we've had dogs and I do love dogs, but I have to admit I, as a young person, I had cats and I loved cats. So I like both. <laughs> which do you prefer beaches or mountains? No, that's a hard one too. We live in the mountains, but we used to have a house at the beach. And it's been so hot. We, like today, we're going to be a hundred again. 
the the beach sounds so wonderful, but we sold our beach cabin because we were spending, we were too torn apart. We were, it's a three hour trip, you know, and it's like, so now we're stuck in the mountains and now the beach sounds <laughs> awfully good. <laughs> I love oh, them both. so much. Uh, so you know, here, let, can I throw this in? Because it's yeah, kind of please. when my husband and I first met and we weren't going together, we were working in a youth ministry and that we got, they were doing a thing, you know, where would you like to be right now? And we were in the, no, we weren't. Anyway, he said the mountains and I was thinking that sounds good, but I said the beach. <laughs> <laughs> but that was, you know, a long time ago. So we go. decided we both, we like them both. Mm-hmm. All right. What is your favorite holiday to celebrate? I'd have to be Christmas. I just I have such great childhood memories and it's also my husband's birthday. Oh. So it makes it kind of special. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's hard to be Christmas because Christmas has a whole season, you know, or the other holidays, it's just a day or maybe even a week. Christmas, yeah. is, I mean, especially in the world of Hallmark, it's like four months <laughs> <laughs> or maybe year round sometimes. Yeah, year round. <laughs> yeah. That's right. All right. Last question. What is your favorite Hallmark or romance romantic movie? Oh man. Um, I, I can't think of what the name is. You guys probably know. Kind of, I'm so bad at this. Um, it was the actor and his wife were in it and it was set in Paris and it, had something to do with keys or locks or something like that. Oh, love locks. Love yeah. locks. Is that, is that right? What is the name of that actor? I can see his face. I just can't see uh, his name. Rebecca Romaine. Yes. Rebecca Romaine. Mm-hmm. And oh, yeah. whatever his name is. Yeah. I liked, I really liked that. That was a good one. I, maybe because it was in France. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I like, like that I, one I too. Need to go there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. Yeah. That one, it's got a good script. It's Tippi and Neil Dabrowski who are really good. And, uh, I, I, uh, I liked the whole, it was a good second chance romance type story, I think. Yeah. And I, I think I just loved it. It had all the aesthetics. Well, you know what I should have mm-hmm. said? I should have said my own movie, duh. <laughs> the, <laughs> all summer long on the boat. Yeah. I love that movie the most. <laughs> yeah, there you go. I, you know what? I do. I just it is a cute movie. Serving. Well, and I just, I loved the boat and the setting and yeah, it was cute, but mm-hmm. oops. there we go well you answered all the questions yeah very good you have the best (laughs) and like i said we're excited about the new book congratulations we'll have a link if people want to purchase it uh, in the description please check that out and uh and when does it uh, become available i think it's september 8th right right about there it's coming right up Yeah. yeah Very good. Uh, well, do you have social media or anything like that you'd like to share? Uh, MelodyCarlson.com. And then, you know, I, I forget to tell people, you know, you, you can sign up for my newsletter too. And cause there's going to be a lot of promos about it and I'm going to do things for some book clubs and I don't know what all, but yeah, mm-hmm. the newsletter cool. will have more stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Great. We'll have links. Then, for that yeah, I'm you. on Facebook. Although I've had a hard time getting into Facebook lately. They keep changing everything. I don't know. I, know. I don't understand. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. we'll have links for all that in the description. People can uh, can go there. And Bree, where can people find you? I'm on Instagram at Falling for Romance, and I also co-host the Categorically Romance podcast, where we chat category romance. Very good. 
And you can find me at Rachel's Reviews, all over social media, iTunes, YouTube, and on Rotten Tomatoes. So take a look at that. Also, make sure you're following the podcast, a Homeworkies Pod, Homeworkies Podcast, all over social media. If you are listening on iTunes, please leave your ratings and reviews. We really appreciate that. And if you're listening on YouTube, please give this video a thumbs up and subscribe to the channel. We also have our pager group and merch store. Please take a look at that. We would really, really appreciate it. And thank you so much, Melody. This was so much fun yes, thank to get you. a chance to talk with you. Thank you. Yeah. And Merry Christmas early. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you too. <laughs> Sweltering over here a bit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Bye, everyone. <laughs>